Hello, welcome to episode two of The Stuff of Stories. I'm Ian Pringle, and I'm here with Sarah Jane Rose, who you will hear more from in a moment. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about oral storytelling. And uh, to get us going and get us into this idea, I set Sarah and I a little bit of a challenge um, where I said what we had to do was go away and find a story of some kind and then... um, read that story, digest it, and then retell it in our own words in a kind of improvised oral storytelling way. And the rules were they had to sit in front of the microphone in your booth and just tell the story without um, without stopping or editing or changing anything as you go along. So it's quite a raw version uh, of that story. Um, you can listen to both of those stories on our sister podcast, That's Another Story Told. But what we will do in this podcast is give you um, a few clips just so you get a sense of the kind of stories we were telling. I chose a traditional Grimm's fairy tale and Sarah picked a true story that she'd found out about a um, a murder that had happened in her local community some years ago. So she's telling that story and I'm telling the grim story. You'll hear Sarah first and then me and then you'll hear Sarah and I having a wider discussion about oral storytelling. This is the story of the murder of Charles Walton. Valentine's Day has never really been the same in the small village of Lower Quinton in South Warwickshire, after a strange murder which took place among rumours of witchcraft and black magic. The murder victim at the heart of this gruesome and strange tale was 74-year-old Charles Walton, a farm labourer who'd lived in Lower Quinton all his life. He shared a rented cottage opposite the village church with his niece, Edie. The cottage is still there today, although it has been converted into one large cottage. Despite Charles's advanced years, he would always help out in the local farms, right up until the day of his murder. It's said that some villagers believe that he might have been involved in witchcraft simply because of his strange knowledge and apparent abilities. One quite famous legend from about the 8th century says that the devil kicked a boulder from the top of the hill with the intention of smashing the recent-built Evesham Abbey. However, his deed was thwarted by the prayers of the locals and instead the boulder fell on Cleave Hill, which is outside Cheltenham. This crime, however, has never been solved. And the community of Lower Quinton still refused to talk about the crime. So once there was a fisherman and his wife and and they lived together in what I can only really describe as a toilet. Their dwelling, it was a it was a stinky, messy, horrible place on the shore of a sea. So, anyway, one day the fisherman had gone off fishing. And it wasn't a particularly good day for fishing. He'd had no luck. It was a very calm day, 
and the sea was very, very quiet. And towards the end of the day, he thought, I think I'm going to give up and go home, go back to the toilet. But before he went, he cast out his line one more time. And he cast it out, and he began to reel it in, when suddenly there was a huge tug on the line, and something pulled, and he pulled against it, and he reeled it in, and he thought his luck was in. And he reeled in a lovely, big, beautiful, sparkling, shiny flounder. And then he got out his stick, his, his special stick that he used to use to knock the fish out. Um, and he lifted the stick up above his head and just as he was about to knock it out, he heard a little voice. Don't! What was that? He thought. Don't! Please don't kill me! He looked down and this flounder was speaking to him. <laughs> okay, so how did you how did you find doing it? Um it was really hard. Um because I so th my idea in the first place was that the A I wanted to do something just so that it was slightly different to yours. I wanted to do something that was a true story. And originally I thought, well, I'll just do maybe I'll just do something that happened to me and kind of talk about the idea that we naturally tell stories all of the time. But I was like, well, that doesn't quite work. So um, so then I had this idea of, of finding a true story. And it, hadn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily going to be a crime or anything. It was just, that happened to be the thing that I found. And then the fact that it, it had all these different elements to it and these legends that kind of tied into it. Oh, my God, what is going on? Is that your phone? It's not my phone. Fucking hell. It's so unprofessional. Jesus Christ. Is it, is it some ghost from the previous story? Ringing up to say, actually, I'm not a witch. She's gone now. It's basically just me talking to myself. Just me. Just, just me on the podcast now, on my own. <laughs> I um, I stole, <laughs> I stole my dad's iPhone so that I could get onto Clubhouse and um, and stuff. So I um, anyway. So it was just there, and I forgot. But it shouldn't even work. It hasn't even got a SIM card in it. Um, that's a totally different story. But it does sound rather immature of you to steal your dad's mobile phone it's, so it's you can get in. Basically, that's a bit quite like childish. Like, <laughs> It's like um, sort of faking your ID or something, you know, Nick. It... <laughs> I was I was getting fear of missing out because everyone was going on about Clubhouse, uh, and I couldn't yeah. get on, I couldn't get on it because I've got an Android phone. Um, what the fuck is Clubhouse anyway? People are keep saying about it, saying oh, I've got some invites. I don't know. I, uh, I... To be honest, um, it's another headache. I'll be honest um, because it's another social media platform, but it's gone mad with narrators and voiceover actors and stuff setting up. Basically, the way I see it is almost like having a load of rooms with TED Talks and then you can pop in and listen and you can ask questions, uh, but you can't message or anything. It's all voice. So it's a bit, it's a bit oh. odd. Um, so but, if you were working, 
if you were recording, someone popped into your room, they'd literally suddenly start talking to you. That, that only if you let very... them. Only if you let them. Ah, uh, okay. So you see someone's there and yeah. then you can open up that mic if you want to, them yeah. to speak. Okay. Yeah. So there's not, I mean, there's lots of interesting stuff on there and lots of people talking about it. It's just, um, for me at the moment, it's an, it's another thing to, to worry about. So I, sh- I should have just not got the iPhone and ignored it. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sorry, we were talking about we the story. We were talking about the story. So the story. So I, I um, yeah, so I wanted to do a true story um, just to kind of bring in that element of, 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 of the natural element of storytelling all of the time because everyone is a natural storyteller. And then when I was looking for it and I found this, I just sort of stumbled across this because it was in uh, in Warwickshire. And the fact that it then had these connecting legends, I thought, well, that works really nicely because that's that's a, a something to talk about in itself is how how where do we get from you know, a true story or uh, a scary story through to something that gets turned into a fable or a legend or, um, you know, where do they come from? Um, so, yeah, that's a really yeah. interesting point. Is that, yeah, that when does something, what, at what point does that murder mystery become a much more of a story than just some related facts that yeah. you might find in a, in a yeah. newspaper? Yeah. But in terms of, of having to do it, yeah, um, I... I found it quite difficult. So I, I don't know. How did you do yours? Did you, did you, did you memorise the whole thing, or no? You see, this is what I'm interested in talking. Yeah, this is the interesting thing with it mm. because I was going to ask you, what did you do to prepare yourself for telling the story? And I'm guessing because you only thought about doing it this morning, and it's only just about this afternoon now. So that so. You haven't had time to tell that to anybody else. No. So what? And I think I think that makes a big difference because what happens with a story is when you, if you re, if you'd read that four weeks ago and yeah. you'd related it to your husband and related it to your kids or maybe not your kids that one, but related it <laughs> yeah. to your mum and some other people and some friends and maybe related to, you'd you'd start piecing it together in your head and begin to go. The, this oh this this is the shape actually this is what's interesting about this story so that's the shape of it yeah um, whereas I think you've had to kind of quickly do it on the hoof well I've kind and... of had to force it slightly so yeah, what I what more. I did was I took all the all the the whole because it was a series of articles about this that I read um, and so I took the bits that I wanted and decided uh, the structure the the arc of the story of how I wanted to do it like where where I wanted to start how I bought in the legends and then what I wanted to finish with. That's that's basically what I did. So I wrote that down yeah. a, a couple of times and then I did cheat. I did have a post-it note with some of the dates on because otherwise I yeah. wouldn't have remembered those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- but, I think but that's pretty, but that's, in principle, that's sort of what I did, but over a longer period because mm-hmm. I read the story uh, ages ago to my son and then I read it to him again and then... <laughs> He has a bedtime routine which Im- involves playing with all of his Teds and creating little plays and stuff with them. And I, rather cunningly, because I thought we were going to be doing this, I thought if I get him to start playing out some of the stories that we've read, then that would be a great practice ground for me to remember the story. So we yeah. start, so we did it with with him there. Um, and then one day, randomly on the way back from school, I told the story to my wife and him on the walk. Um, and Charlie and I did it together. My son and I did it together. Uh, so by the time I came to do it here, I had told the story in a rough way, 
three or four times. And I did start to write the story once as well, um, just kind of writing it off the top of my head to see what interpretations I would make, which was interesting to do, but I did abandon it. I didn't finish the writing the story because I realised what I was doing was... Um, uh, what's the word? It was beginning to sound more written yeah. and less told yeah. uh, because I was playing with words more than I would probably be capable of doing as a sort of improvising yeah. storyteller. So, uh, uh, But it did help cement just the plot a little bit more. Well, it's interesting what you're saying about using objects as well. So I've done, I do that quite a lot with kids and I do with Ethan, actually. Um, We do, we don't use uh, teddies, but we do do improvising stories as part of the bedtime routine. And they are ridiculous because obviously he's four. So it usually involves a banana and some poo. But, you know, and, but it's really sweet. So he makes up a story. All the best stories involve banana. Exactly. So, um but yes, and that's a classic. But I was on a a, a webinar with um, a company who do uh, sort of storytelling workshops for children, and one of the writers that came on there had did a workshop which involved objects, and she had, and she said, "This is how I structure a story." As I've got an in it, I can't remember what she had, like a tree and a bear and a and a what's it? And the kids had to go away and make a story out of those objects. And I don't know if you've heard, we use um, something called story cubes as well which is a little game you can buy and it's nine dice in a box and the dice have pictures on each side and you throw the dice and then you make up a story based on ah. the pictures. They're really good for, for that with, nice. with kids. And even my kids oh, who are Oh, I might get that for Charlie. They're, Love that. Oh, they're Sto- brilliant. Story cubes. Story cubes, yeah. Ah, that sounds um, great. They're, yeah. they're really good. So, um, and, that's use, and that's using that, you know, exactly the same sort of thing, but it's a, so, it's a fun game to play. That's I mean, that's, so there's a, there's a big difference, isn't there? And in our episodes, we're going to do an episode where we're looking at that completely improvised story. Yeah. So it's not based on a story at all. And yeah. I think what we've done two different things here. I did the sort of uh, Brothers Grimm. But when you read Brothers Grimm in the sort of free public domain Brothers Grimm book, uh, they're not brilliantly written compared to reading, uh, I've got Philip Pullman's uh, yeah. Grim stories and he just he doesn't change the story particularly but he just he just to use his words nicer in there so but that's but I quite like that original Grimm's book because it's just so plain that you can sort of add to it a yeah, little right. bit more make it a little bit more your own um but yeah that's quite different to improvising a whole story just from a set of objects or just yeah. from some pictures um yeah, yeah so it's yeah, there's a big big difference between um retelling a story which something happens and actually one of the classic uh ones of this my dad has a story um about um our dog we had a dog when we were younger and uh and it and it bit a child and as far as we were aware as we grew up it went to live with uncle ian's dad and this is the retelling of the story now (laughs) the problem is dad told that story so many times that he now can't remember whether he was like i'm sure the dog must have been put down but i can't remember because i spent so (laughs) many years telling you that story that the dog had gone to live with with uncle ian's dad um uncle ian obviously wasn't the real uncle he was just a friend of dad's um and um and, and it's interesting isn't it that 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 happens so we retell a story so many times that it becomes the truth or, or we think and then we're not sure and see this is i've been looking at 
um, and studying a little bit of Martin Shaw's online thing, not the Martin Shaw, the, the famous actor, Martin Shaw, who's a, a storyteller and a professor of myth. Um, and he's a fascinating bloke, and it's quite deep, some of the stuff that he goes into. But he um, he's a believer. In, he, he feels that you should absorb the bones of the story and you should always respect the bones of the story. So that's basically where it comes from, what what it's made of. Um, but obviously in the telling, you're responding to the live event. You're responding to the live moment. Or in our case, you're at least responding to the world at this moment in time. Mm. Um, and that might be something in the delivery of it or something in the setting of it or something in the way that you're asking people to reflect on it. He's really quite clear on he doesn't he doesn't want people to um, push the metaphors or or, or, or or do the working out. He doesn't want people to do. Doesn't want the storyteller to do the working out for the audience, mm. which is which is an interesting one. So you're not trying to push it too much. There's a metaphor in there. There's interesting myth in there for people to relate to. But you should, as much as possible, give them the opportunity to make those links rather than making it yourself. So he's kind of big on that. But the the most amazing thing I heard about stories and and that oral tradition. So I guess why I was saying that was that. He, it will the story will continually change because the moment will be different but the bones of the story are the same so in his thinking our ancestors are still giving us really important information here they really are too. so somehow that story that your dad created whether it was about the the um putting down of your dog or not he has created a kind of familial story which might get passed down generations in some way or another or used in a different way. There was a, Have you heard about the... Um, oh, I'm going to say this wrong. I think it's called Laboon. No. So Laboon is a, is a story... Of, I don't know if it's the name of the story. I couldn't find the story, but you, if you look this up, you'll find the information about okay. it. I couldn't find the story because the story, I think is an oral story and it's not been shared but think back to the tsunami of boxing day 20 or 2000 and whenever it was three four, or four or something four, 2004. Four. same year my house burnt down right okay the um well that story can come in at another point <laughs> in this there, there might be too much destruction otherwise yeah that um they the most of the people got killed that lived near that tsunami. So it killed hundreds, thousands of people. Mm. But there are a group of uh, gypsies, sea gypsies. So they live near the sea, but they move around. They live off the sea. Um, and they have been telling a story about Laboon for a very long time. And in that story, it tells of the way the sea disappearing and the people running for the hills. And um, according to the the information I've gathered, I don't know if it's entirely true, that all of the sea gypsies survived the tsunami because they all ran for the hills, even though, and they'd continued to tell this story for generations, even though um, for generations and generations, nobody had seen a tsunami. Mm. But something to do with the fact that that story, the bones of that story was in their bones. Yeah. When they saw that sea disappear, they just ran for the hills. They went, yeah. And they survived. And I think that is, that for me, that's like, when I heard that, I was like, Christ, that tell, that is the power of oral storytelling. Yeah. That's the power of those traditions. You don't get that from reading a book. No. You can read a novel, 
but you won't, it's never going to be in your bones in the same way. Probably, I think it's more akin to maybe some, if you got really into Shakespeare and read loads of his sonnets, that might get in your bones more, but I can't see how that, uh, No. so well, that you it, read has the same effect. No, and it's interesting, isn't it, in terms of, of what you, of what information, or how you take that information in, because if you're, you're taking in so much information at a time. So while I'm reading, you know, various books at any one time or I'm listening to different books, how much information am I taking in? But if if a familial story is told to you like that, you know, that's something that stays with you. So this idea that stories are passed down through generations is somehow much more important, you know, with, within you, that you retain that information enough mm. to effectively save your life, like in that in that example. Um, so it's interesting the difference of how of how you absorb a, a story. Um, I think is and I think it's it's uh, yeah it is fascinating. And so people like Martin Shaw really think think about that a lot. And there's a lot of story used in drama therapy and things. Mm -hmm. And I think you can totally see why because I think a lot of those stories tell of the things that we've forgotten. Like right now, thinking about pandemics and uh, and everything that's going on. So many stories speak of trying to talk to a, a an ancestry that's further back in time and also talk to people further in the future, really trying to respect nature and think about nature and be part of nature in, in those stories. And that's something I think a society has forgotten because yeah. we don't have that. El we don't have elders telling us these stories anymore, really, do we? It's kind of gone. Um, so, yeah. Do you think, do you, That's got do, deep, do you hasn't think, it? That has got deep. That has got deep. Do you think it's gone? Do you think it's really gone? Maybe. Um, uh, so I... Uh, and, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Give us an example of what... what, what I, I can't think of good... I can't think of the modern equivalence of that sort of storytelling, but maybe they're but there do, and I'm but not do, seeing But do it. people still do it? Like, because I... It's, it's something that I something that I remember from my from various events is there would always be somebody so part of my family is a big Irish family and there would be uh, events yeah. involving quite a lot of people and sometimes caravans um you know and and there would always be at some point it ends with either music or somebody standing up and, te and literally telling a bunch of stories and it mm. wouldn't necessarily have to be um campfire stories or anything like that it's just somebody would sort of hold court for a little bit and and tell stories and and it's interesting because my partner's family aren't necessarily like they're very practical people and although obviously they do tell stories in just a normal conversational way but they they wouldn't kind of create that situation um and so and so it isn't something that happens perhaps as often as it as it used to. and obviously at the moment we don't get together in in big groups so it doesn't happen um, but it, but I think that should I still think you're right, it, it, it You're right, and I think there is. So I was just thinking then the same thing reflected in my in my family. Um, my wife is there, Liverpool, and I remember her dad. Sadly, not around now, but he 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 would definitely tell a story. And what I mean is, he is telling a sort of factual thing, something that did happen. It's about something that yeah. did happen to him, but really it's okay to sort of blur the edges, make things a little bit more incredible than maybe they were, you know, to just to make it more of a joke. Yeah. Telling a joke really is telling a story, isn't it? And that's yeah. sort of what he did a lot. And that was obviously around in Liverpool. At that, there's a big part of that in the culture in Liverpool, I think. It's a more of a storytelling kind of place. And, of course, 
You mentioned caravans in the travelling community, but I wonder if those communities are, you know, sadly, those communities are being forced to not be moving around. They get blamed so much for so so much crime and things, unfairly, the vast majority of the time. And and they have huge stories to tell, really interesting stories, but they're being deprived of their their travelling life, which is, you know, the, these sea gypsies, that was why they were able to respond in the way that they could. They were, they were, they weren't just relying on the facts. They were, they believed in something else, I think, that allowed them to, to fly. Otherwise, you could sit there and rationalise it. Well, this it can't be, you know, you'd kind of sit there in disbelief and then drown, which I'm sure is probably what happened to what most happened people. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. In, 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 and it's, and do we... Are we, as kind of families and in the modern world, and particularly at the moment, because it's so difficult, we've got to occupy ourselves all of the time without going mm. anywhere new, without experiencing something different. I was saying to someone yesterday that, you know, we're looking forward to the announcement. It's like, because I just want to go somewhere that isn't my garden or the driveway or for us, what is Abbey Fields? It's the park that we go to. And it's just like, just because we've been going to the same few places. And and unfortunately, what that does is it reduces, obviously, your experience and your inspiration. And I think that's why, at the moment, I feel, or saying I've been a bit sad and grumpy this week. And I think it's just that. You know, my inspiration is having to come from, you know, okay, I've, I've got into a better habit of reading books and everything, but I'm not going anywhere new. Um, and we're not, we're not, you know, in groups of people telling stories and that kind of thing. And that and that is something that I absolutely love. And it's it's that yeah. that I miss. Um and and because of that within the family we're becoming more technical, you know, I was saying to you last time I spoke to you, we've got I've got a computer in here, I've got another computer out there, I've got two tablets. So I hate them. I hate them all. Mm. Um but but you ha- but you have to have them. Um and 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 I know a lot of families are very reliant on them in terms of having to get work done. Uh, it's true, but it doesn't seem to, the, the, the computer doesn't, In this, it's not the same way, because I was just thinking then, a story can be 30 seconds long, mm. and it can be just told between you and a passerby, so I, you know, I'm sort of person, if I'm walking around in my local town, I say hello to people all the time, and when you say hello to people all the time, every now and again, you both, it's often object based, isn't it, so you kind of both go, oh, what's happened to the lamppost there, or, you know, yeah. What's going on with the letterbox? No one seems to collect it anything. And they might then go, uh, I remember that happened, you know, a few years ago. And, la, 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 la. and you just get a tiny snapshot of a story that they share with you it outside. is someone you don't know. Yeah. And you just have to take them as who they are in that moment. Whereas there's something about people. Of course, you could say, well, people do that on Twitter or people do that on Facebook. But it's, contri- it's always a bit self. It's self ingratiating. They've edited it like it's contrived. Yeah, it's contrived yeah, yeah. because it, because you've yeah. had to think about it. You've written it twice and deleted it, um, yeah. or, or the opposite. You've kind. It's kind of fallen out of your. You know, people people can be overly um, yeah. verbal diarrhea. Verbal di- exactly. Yeah, because yeah. they because they have no filter, um, and because they're not looking someone in the eye. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting, and I think I think you know the more that we can encourage and embrace tiny, tiny, tiny um, periods of storytelling. Like you were saying, the the bits that you do with your son and the objects at at bedtime and, you know, using story cubes and that sort of thing because um, it's actually a really fun way to pass the time. And obviously kids are hilarious. And I have to say, to be fair to the school 
my daughter's school, they've been doing a lot of their work has been around stories um, over the last few weeks. So every week there's been a different story from a different region and the kids have got to put this, put the story in a different order or take bits from the story and, yeah. and that's been quite interesting. So, so coming to the end of this, I think, oh, yeah. uh, I think uh, people should, you should, the, the person look at, listening to this, what you should do is listen to our stories, but you should go and listen to Moth because I was just thinking about that as a podcast. It's a great podcast um, and you you would like it because it's, real life people sharing their stories but they work with storytelling workshops so they're able to sort of practice it a few times and mm. get the storytelling experience uh, better for you the listener so check check out moth moth is really cool And just before we go, I wanted to say, um, if you want to listen to the two stories that Sarah and I recorded, then go to the podcast That's Another Story Told, which is our sister podcast to this programme. And on episode 10, you'll be able to listen to both of those stories. Um, so check those out if you want to hear them in full. Um, I hope you like this show. If you do, then please like it, share it, subscribe to it if you can, and then you'll hear more shows. Um, episode 3 which is coming up after this one, is a great show. And we look at oral storytelling traditions in a, in a wider way by interviewing a woman called Kate Coleman. Um, and you can actually listen to her story. She recorded a story for us on That's Another Story Told, which is episode 11. So maybe do some research and go and listen to her first there. She does a lovely story called Skeleton Woman. Um, listen to that and then come back and listen to episode three of this podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.